My name's Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. On today's program, I'm joined in studio by my new friend, Amy Meter Perel. Welcome, Amy. Thank you, Jim. I'm glad to be here. Amy was introduced to me by a mutual friend of ours, Richard Halpern, who um, said that I would be interested in meeting Amy. And I'll tell you, I've been here now for the better part of a half an hour having a conversation. He was absolutely spot on. Amy, you come to us from... Millis. Millis. Okay. Yes. Millis, Massachusetts. And you have been living now for just over 20 years with kidney disease. Yes. I want to state right out of the gate, we are uh, here today to support Amy in her quest to find a kidney donor. Amy needs this kidney in order to improve the quality of her life. And Amy, you were saying before we uh, came on the air that kidney donor and a donation and a transplant is not a cure. Exactly. And why is that? Because once your kidneys are scarred or removed from some disease that you may have, uh, you can't recover that. Mm -hmm. But people can live with one kidney. Mm -hmm. So that means the donor can live with one kidney and the recipient can live with one kidney. Right. And uh, there are some concerns that you might be more likely to have some problem down the road, but that really doesn't impact your life so much that you can't live on as a normal person. Right. right now, I don't know normal, or right. I know new normal for a dialysis patient, right. but I think uh, it could be much improved. Sure, and we're going to talk a lot more about exactly what your treatment looks like right now. Before we do that, I want to talk to people about Amy's Facebook page, which is Be a Kidney Donor for Amy, just what it says. Be a Kidney Donor for Amy on Facebook. Please go on that page and like the page. Uh, that That is very important because you can, you can keep up with what Amy's doing. You can keep up with the donor landscape. Uh, if you are interested in finding out whether or not you can be a donor, that's the best place to get through to Amy, and we'll talk a lot more about what it looks like to become a kidney donor. Amy Meter Perel's uh, email address is donor the numeral for Amy at gmail.com. So, Amy, you were diagnosed with kidney disease 20 years ago, and how did that present itself? Basically, I was being monitored uh, through blood testing for a medication that I was taking, and they started noticing after a lengthy amount of time of taking this medication that it was affecting my kidney function. So they altered the medication regime, took me off the medication they thought was causing the problem. But by then, my kidneys had been scarred uh, sufficiently wow. to start making them decline in function. And that happened over a period of about 10 years. So it's really a kidney injury. Yes, thank you. Right? Yes, it wasn't disease from birth. Yeah. It wasn't from diabetes or high blood pressure, which are two of the major causes of kidney disease and why we see more people having kidney disease in these days and times because of our diet, because of our stress. Um, people develop diabetes, they develop high blood pressure, and both of those put a lot of stress on your heart and your kidneys. The other ways people get uh, decline in kidney function, there are two ways. One can be as the result of an operation that they may have on their heart, say, that causes um, 
the kidneys to shut down. Mm-hmm. That kind of kidney uh, disease can be reversed. Mm-hmm. They may go on dialysis for a few months, right. and then somehow they recover their kidney function. But any kidney function that's lost because of a chronic condition, like scarring or uh, diabetes or high blood pressure, that cannot be reversed. And the only thing people can do is slow down the progression. Mm -hmm. So more and more people are learning how to slow down the progression after they find out that they have kidney disease. Some people are walking around and they don't even know they have kidney disease. Right. Uh, it, it's certain blood tests that should be done by your primary care doctor on a routine basis to assess the status of your heart, your kidneys, your liver, your whatever other what pancreas is affected by sure. um, diabetes. Sure. So it's important that it start early so that people don't find themselves progressing steadily towards a, a total loss of kidney function. Wow, wow. So you suffered a kin- kidney injury in your in your case. And Amy, I don't want to make the assumption that people listening, everybody listening, understands the function of the kidney. So can you talk about the function of the kidney? Well, basically the kidney is a filter of the toxins in the body. It's con- kind of connected to the bladder Um, and you filter out the toxins in your body through urination Mm -hmm. and I suppose also uh, bowel, but I'm not completely sure how much of that. Mm -hmm. But urination is really key, and if your kidneys stop functioning and they stop producing urine and your bladder doesn't dispense that, then the fluids build up in your body, Mm -hmm. the toxins build up in your body, and you're left very sick. And fluid buildup can cause swelling in the ankles and other parts of your body. It can build up around your heart, and you can go into congestive heart failure. Mm. That was one of the things that happened to me that really made me aware that I was going to have to do something about this, that I was probably going to have to go on dialysis, is I had a, a small incidence of congestive heart failure. And if anybody's experienced a heart attack or congestive heart failure, you feel like there is uh, an elephant sitting on your chest right, right. and you cannot breathe. And that was the scariest thing that ever happened I'll to bet. me. I'll yeah. bet. So you mentioned dialysis and you're currently on dialysis and that's three to four times a week? It's three times a week for me. Some people have to go in four because they're unable to take off enough fluid. Thank God I only have to do three times a week. So basically I do hemodialysis, which is uh, through the blood um, at a center where they have multiple staff helping you if there's an emergency situation. You can also do dialysis at home uh, through a, a home hemodialysis machine, but usually they want a partner uh, to do that, and I don't feel comfortable putting the needles in myself. I have arthritis as another complicating condition, and sure. you know my hands would shake trying to put the needles in. Mm. Um, so, but in each one of those dialysis sessions are three to four hours. Uh, it's different at home. At <laughs> okay. home, you do them for longer, 
and you do them more frequently. And it's been reported by patients that it's much easier on the body and less restrictive um, on the amount of fatigue you experience mm-hmm. after dialysis. Mm-hmm. When you do it in a compressed time period, as I do, right? Uh, I do three and a half hours. Most people do four. Some people even do more than four. In center, you go home feeling totally wiped out and... It's not a it's not a great feeling. Basically, I lose three days a week, but on the other four days, I I recover. It's a fast recovery, and you feel much. I feel much better. You know, it just it's a lot of time, a lot of time. I'm telling you. Oh, they Um, compare it to a part time job. Yeah, I I don't see it that way because I'm not getting paid. They said you are getting paid. You're still living. (laughs) Well, that yeah, that's. uh, that's a tough way to, to see it, in my opinion, but that, that's a long time to be uh, undergoing dialysis. And again, this is something that is critical for your, uh, not only quality of life, but to keep you alive is dialysis. Exactly. And so what we're trying to do today is is let folks know that Amy Meter Perel needs a kidney. And she uh, explained to me that she is one of 100,000 people right now looking for kidneys in the United States, uh, which is just incredible to think about. Uh, and there are really a couple of different ways that you can find a kidney. One is from someone who is deceased, who is an organ donor, and one is from a a living kidney donor. Uh, We all need one kidney to uh, function on, and and those of us that have been blessed with two healthy kidneys actually have the luxury of donating one of those kidneys, if we want to, to someone like Amy to save a life. So, Amy, can you talk a little bit about the living donor process? How does somebody get registered? How do they find out if they're a match and those types of things? So basically, uh, you can go directly to the hospital where the patient is registered and fill out a questionnaire, a preliminary questionnaire, Mm -hmm. and then they will call you to ask you more questions, and then you can be screened through blood testing and various other um, testing that they need to do to find out if you're a good match. Or... You can offer to donate just to anyone. Um, I'm not sure the process for that, but uh, it doesn't. You don't have to call the specific hospital that the person is registered at, and then your donation goes into a, a kind of universal bank, and people who may need a donor are able to. Somehow through the computer matching, they are able to draw on that. It's like match.com for kidneys, right? (laughs) In a way. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody uh, is on your Facebook page, which again is Be a Kidney Donor for Amy. If you go to Facebook and just type that into the uh, search, you will find Amy Amy Meter Perel's uh, Facebook page, which is looking for a kidney donor. Uh, Go on there and like it like I did this morning. Share it with your friends. Uh, You never know who is out there thinking about uh, kidney donation uh, and um, and let you know get in touch with Amy see how you can help uh, there may be ways that you can help spread the word that you haven't even thought of yet but importantly we want to help Amy find the kidney that she needs to continue living life 
And uh, frankly, it's something that I have taken for granted for a long, long time, which I probably won't again, which is that I have two healthy kidneys, as far as I know. Um, I want to remind everybody, we are speaking with Amy meter Perel. We're talking about kidney donation today and Amy's need for a kidney. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at chaptersradio.com. Amy, you mentioned that there's uh, 100,000 people or so living with uh, the need for a kidney donation. I don't run into a lot of people that need kidneys. You know, it's just not something you see every day or hear about every day. Is that because we're not paying attention or is there just not that many people in the Boston area that are looking for kidneys? Actually, the Boston area is has a longer wait time for kidneys mm-hmm. than some other areas of the country. The, the coastal communities seem to have longer wait times, uh, both on the West Coast and the East Coast. The areas that have shorter wait times, for whatever reason, are in the Midwest. Wow. And some in the South. Yep. Um, so, uh, in my case, I may be registered at a Boston hospital because that was close to where I live. But my chances for getting a kidney faster may be improved if I register in the Midwest or a southern area. Sure. Um, there's a listing that shows the wait, the various wait times in these different areas of the country. The country's divided into, I think, 17 regions. So of the 48 states, there's... Uh, 50 states, excuse me. Where, where is my head? That's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so um, a lot of, let me just digress for a minute. Sure. A lot of what happens while you're on dialysis yeah. is as if age isn't enough of a problem. Yeah. For some reason, people develop this dialysis fog yes. where they cannot remember things. Mm-hmm. And I can't even believe I made that slip in the number of states. Well, it's, it's but, not a problem. Trust me, you're in the right, right company for that. Anyway, um, so now I'm investigating going to another area of the country, mm-hmm. but that does involve financial and logistical uh, problems. Yeah, let's talk a little bit for a minute, Amy, if we could just back back up to a living donor. Uh, so let's say that I want to donate a kidney and I find out that I'm a match. Um, so I'm a match for you. I'm going to go ahead and donate my kidney. What is the process for me to donate that kidney? Basically, Medicare will pay for the donor to be tested and will pay for the surgery. They won't pay for the logistics of them getting there or the loss of pay or things like that. But there are organizations that will help with that, and they're trying to pass nationally a Living Donor Protection Act, which would provide uh, financial assistance for people that have to take time off from work. The recovery time for the donor is less than for the recipient, generally speaking, because the surgery is not as complicated. But there is time lost. So the individual obviously donates the kidney, they have surgery, and there's a recovery time. Do you have an idea of how much time you're talking about? Is it a month? Is it... You know, for the donor, I think it's less than a month. Yeah. Um, They don't want you to do heavy lifting if you're a construction worker or something like that. But for somebody uh, who is in good health to start with, and Mm -hmm. they're not going to take a kidney, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, from somebody who isn't in good health, there's a lot of rigid testing for the donor. Right. Um, 
so that so I would say about a month for the recipient it may be longer yeah. be, because of uh, the the surgery is a little bit more complicated. Has there been any studies? Or are you aware of anything that talks about why people are motivated to donate a kidney? Other than the obvious, it's my aunt Sally, or you know, it's somebody I love and dear dearly. But but for those people that may not know you, why would somebody be motivated to donate a kidney? I think generally the person that's uh, looking for a kidney has to make a good case for themselves okay. of why life is so important to them mm -hmm. that they want to continue and why dialysis, it is an adequate way to stay alive. And basically I've adjusted well to it, but I don't travel uh, because I have to be in the clinic three times a week. Um, you can arrange to travel by having the clinic arrange for another dialysis center in the country or outside the country right. but it, it's not it's not really great and this i think anybody with any kind of chronic illness worries about being away from the area where they most receive treatment sure so if you like to travel and most people do um Maybe there's activities that you like to do. Uh, I, when I was young, I used to climb mountains. No way now would I have the energy to sure. climb a mountain. I used to swim. I can't swim now because right. even though I got a fistula, which allows swimming because it's a closed access versus the, what they, people go through if they have a catheter or if they have the peritoneal dialysis, which involves a, a tubing in the abdomen to do dialysis I would be able to swim but I've I've kind of lost some of the energy to do sure. that now is dialysis as effective uh, in clearing you as a ki functioning kidney would be because you mentioned like brain fog and, yeah. and things like that as a dialysis patient uh, a there's got to be other comorbid things that go along with dialysis that right? is a good question because that's another reason for looking for a kidney right Kidneys perform the function of clearing your body 24 hours a day. Dialysis does tries to do it, at least the kind of right. dialysis I do, in f three to four hour periods mm -hmm. three times a week. Mm -hmm. So actually, it's only clearing about 15% mm -hmm. of what a normal kidney would do. Yeah, and, and I think it's an important conversation to have. And the reason I asked is because... Frankly, when I hadn't met Amy yet in person, but uh, because of our mutual friend Richard, I in, I initially thought, gee, I wonder if I'm a I'm someone who could donate, you know, because you're thinking. I've heard of people doing it before. I know plenty of people with one kidney. I say plenty. I've heard stories of plenty of people with one kidney. Um, so, you know, you kind of think about it and say, well, if I've got these two functioning kidneys and somebody's over there just looking for one, why not? I mean. But then, of course, there's all the logistical stuff that people talk about and compl potential complications and everything else. But the bottom line is I think most people have empathy. And most people can look in the eyes of someone else and say, there but the grace of God go I. could just as easily be me sitting on the other side of this interview bench now appealing for a kidney. So uh, I'll tell you, uh, for, for a number of reasons, I'm unable to donate. Um, but I would have considered at least starting the process. And I hope other people will that are listening to this. I want to remind you that you can look up Amy Meter Perel and you spell Meter, M-E-T-E-R, right? Exactly. P-A-R. 
E-L. Amy Meter Perel. And it is Be a Kidney Donor for Amy is the name of the Facebook page. Go in there and like it. And you can email Amy, Amy at Be a Kidney Donor, the numeral for Amy at gmail.com. I'd just like to add that people who are listening may not be able to be a donor. And that's perfectly understandable. There are reasonable reasons why people may not want to donate. They may be afraid of their own health situation down the road. They may have grandchildren. A young person hasn't really lived their life yet. So I understand that. But there are more than physical donation of a kidney that can help me because There are a lot of things that I can't pursue because of financial problems. So, again, this isn't a request for money. But when people say, oh, you know, I can't be a donor, but how can I help this person? I have transportation problems getting to dialysis sometimes in the winter. You know, a person could offer to drive. Sure. Sometimes I don't have the um, desire to cook meals. People could cook meals you know there's just a lot of different ways that people can help and i have been fortunate to find people who cannot be donors but they have been extremely supportive in other ways of for me yeah so i think that's important to remember for your listeners that i'm so glad you said that amy and often so oftentimes particularly in new england we tend to shelter ourselves and say no you know pull yourself up by the bootstraps you mentioned that you had known our mutual friend for many years before you'd even disclosed that you had uh, kidney disease um and and so oftentimes we forget that people are looking to help they want it they want to help and we just need to be specific about what it is that we need. So please do message Amy on Be a Kidney Donor for Amy on Facebook. If you'd like to be involved, just involved and um, see how you can help. Importantly, also share the page. You never know who might be thinking about donating. You never know where this resonates. Maybe it lands on somebody's desk whose uh, aunt was saved by a donation many years ago and they've been looking for an outlet. You just never, never know. So there are 100,000 Amy Meter Perels looking for kidneys right now. And Amy, one of the incredible stories that you were sharing with me, and I say incredible, I'm, I'm imagining myself in your physical condition with the kidney disease in potentially uh, 12 to 16 hours of dialysis a week, having to deal with, as you mentioned before, brain fog, along with the many, many other issues that go along with kidney disease, and then having to go through the myriad of complicated registration processes and um, testing processes in order to stay on the donor registry. Well, I would say that uh, 50% of my year let's talk about a year's time, is taken up with doctor's appointments to follow up on different things that are are routine for a person's health, but are more routine for a person with uh, chronic or end-stage renal failure, which is what it's called when you get to the point that you need dialysis or a transplant. I want to talk a little bit about the difference between a living donor and a deceased donor. Yeah, let me just give you a break right there. As we continue to talk about donors, can you talk to me about the difference between a living and a deceased donor? What what is the difference? Okay, so when you qualify, you have to qualify 
uh, or pass the all the evaluation tests in order to get a transplant period. But you can your when you pass those tests, you enter uh, a computer system. Uh, that's run by an organization called UNOS, U-N-O-S, United Network for Organ Sharing. And they will try to match you with someone else in the system who qualifies uh, to be a donor. Uh, this is hard for me to talk about, mm. The country is divided into different regions, and there are what they call procurement agencies. They are the ones that when the uh, system says there's a match for Amy in Kansas, they arrange for the kidney to be transported to Massachusetts. But first, that kidney is going to go to the region of the country that Kansas is in. So... In the Boston area, the wait time for a deceased donor can be, I was originally told, five to seven years. Now I think it's more like seven to ten years. But it's all the luck of a draw. Right. Because I could be called tomorrow or I could be called seven years from now. And all that time you're on dialysis trying to stay healthy. There's a restricted diet. Um... Extended dialysis can affect the heart, can affect the bone. You know, it's um, the, the procurement agency in Massachusetts. There are three of them actually: New England New, Organ New, Bank, New England Organ Bank, Life Choice Donor Service, and Center for Donation and Transplants, uh, based on your county. But um, that's the other issue: is that you have to be healthy in order to get the kidney transplant. Uh, they're a standard group of tests that everybody has to pass, um, a stress test to evaluate the I, I your heart, um, uh, blood testing to make sure you're not carrying any other kind of contagious blood disease mm-hmm. that could complicate a transplant, and um, psychological testing basically to establish if your range of emotions can handle a, a transplant mm-hmm. if you're not going to go into any kind of psychotic condition because right. the, some of the medications they give you post-transplant can cause wow. um, some of these conditions to arise if you may already inherently have a, a tendency to get clinically depressed. Yeah. You might get worse. You've got the, the medical testing. You've got the, the just managing this donation between a living and a deceased donor, uh, you were mentioning, you know, this 24-hour notice. Uh, you've got to be somewhere, anywhere in the country, potentially, if you're on a particular list for a deceased donor, uh, within 24 hours. And if you don't, you, you miss that opportunity. And then do you go back into queue again, into into a lineup? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. so you might have potentially uh, missed your opportunity uh, yeah. at that point. So I think your original question had been, what's the difference between yeah. a deceased donor and a living donor? So the generally, the opinion is that a living donor mm-hmm. is your best choice. Right. And the, the projected 
lifespan of a living donor kidney if it's a healthy kidney to start with, because they do have people of my age sign releases that I'll take a less than healthy kidney. Mm -hmm. They're now actually using hepatitis C infected kidneys because of the amount of overdoses. Yeah, I heard that. um, Where the person basically has a good kidney, but they have contracted hepatitis C because of the, uh, the intravenous use. Not all hospitals are doing it. Unfortunately, the hospital that I'm registered with has not started doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who have received hep C infected kidneys have been able to be treated for that condition yeah. along with the transplant wow. medications. Yeah. Okay, so back to the living donor. It's projected that your uh, lifespan will be greater or longer, and it's a scheduled surgery. You don't have to be sitting by your phone waiting 24 hours a to day for a to call. Butte, Montana for a Right, kidney. so yeah. you could have somebody coming from any location in or out of the country who is willing to donate and has passed all the evaluation testing and then you schedule it with your hospital. Um, But you have to be active on the list to to make that happen. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot to manage. I want to remind everybody, we're speaking with Amy Meter-Perel. Amy is uh, on a quest to find a kidney. She needs a kidney transplant. Uh, You can go to her Facebook page, Be a Kidney donor for Amy or email Amy Meter Perel at be a kidney donor the numeral for Amy at gmail.com my name's Jim Derrick this is chapters radio you can find my podcast at chaptersradio.com Amy we've talked a lot about the transplant process and um, uh, at the very beginning we talked about the nature and how you developed kidney disease, which is the result of an injury from medication that you had uh, been taking. Um, one, one of the things we didn't talk about was the social-emotional impact of having a chronic illness. And uh, before we came on the air, we had a, a nice conversation about that. And I think too often that is overlooked for many of us. I can speak for myself. So what is it like having a chronic illness in terms of you know, your general day-to-day life? I think many of the activities that I had been involved in before I was on this three-day-a-week schedule for dialysis were things I had to give up. Mm -hmm. I used to swim three times a week, especially in the summer, in fresh water uh, because the beach is a little bit of a distance. Now I am restricted to salt water or pool Mm -hmm. swimming. I can't swim in fresh water because of the bacterial content. Mm -hmm. So that was an enormous part of my life that I had to give up. It's a real loss. And it was my source of exercise. So to find other kinds of exercise that uh, are acceptable to me, Mm -hmm. I guess I would say, has been somewhat of a difficulty. But I have been able to find aerobic classes in the pool. I've gotten a lot of physical therapy in the pool post a hip replacement that I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gotten back into uh, walking a little bit more. I didn't get back to it. I started walking a little bit more mm-hmm. than I used to mm-hmm. because I was so fatigued before. But now with the encouragement of people that I walk with, I can I can walk a little bit further. And that's helpful for my hip recovery and for my um 
kidney health. Sure. Um, I do have residual function in my kidney, Mm -hmm. which I'm very fortunate to have. Mm -hmm. I still am able to urinate out some of the toxins. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, it's, they tell me that the um, urine content is not really the the things that you have to get rid of in your body it's just that you're getting some of the fluid off so my fluid restrictions are not as Mm -hmm. grave as as someone who doesn't urinate anymore Mm -hmm. Uh, what was the uh, the things that are missing from my life i I was thinking about dialysis just alone it's just it's uh that whole treatment regimen is um is, is really something to think about particularly when you add in things like holidays and travel uh it's just quite a complex scheme you've got to come up yeah. with to make sure you're covered. So one of the things is I'm able to drive myself back and forth to dialysis. I do not have the drops in blood pressure that people commonly can encounter. So that has been a great gift um, that I can do that. It, it gives me a sense of independence um, but come winter, I have to ask people for rides. Mm-hmm. I have to take the handicap van, and that adds maybe two hours wow. on on the time that I have to spend going back and forth to dialysis. Are you tired after dialysis? I'm always tired yeah. after okay. dialysis, I, I just... but the recovery time is about 24 hours or maybe even a little less. So I don't generally go out at night to social activities like I used to. I used to volunteer at a uh, performance center, so I got to see all these performances. Like I said, I used to swim a lot. Now I don't swim as much because I can't go into fresh water. Um, I, I just don't have the social interaction in the evening that I used to have. Luckily, I have found things that I can do during the day that involve um, support with other people who may not have my particular disease, but who have something going on in their life that's uh, that they need to be around other people. Because as you said, people who have chronic problems in their life, and that includes physical disease, mental disease, alcoholism, drug addiction, maybe not for themselves, but for other people that they associate with. We all need to support each other. So and true. And um, so on the days that are alternate to dialysis, I, I am able to go to functions like that during the day. Yeah. And that has been extremely helpful. Mm. What other things I used to volunteer to drive people. Now I don't want to take the risk sure. of driving them because I don't know about my own health condition. Right. Um, and I think, you know, it. Um, I, what I'm hearing you say is the community is extremely important. This effort that we're talking about, Be a Kidney Donor for Amy on Facebook, is is really an, an attempt to get a community together. Because as Amy said earlier, you may not want to be a, a kidney donor for Amy. There may be a whole host of reasons why that doesn't uh, match up for you. But there may be other opportunities like giving Amy a ride and accompanying her to dialysis or making a meal or having uh, enjoying some uh, some time with Amy. There's a whole bunch of ways that people can support each other. We're all living with something, and, and, and I think it's important that we take a minute and re- recognize that 
in my opinion, disease or disease comes from isolation in a lot of cases. And I'm not speaking necessarily kidney disease, but in terms of our own uh, ability to cope, if you will, through difficult times, to say the least. We have to do this in community. We cannot isolate ourselves. Um, to me, that's that's a, a, a recipe for failure. So what I'm hearing Amy say is that community is very, very important to you and that you found new communities to participate with. Yeah, and this is a really important point that when I started dialysis, it didn't stop my inquisitiveness or my search to find communities that I could participate in. I didn't choose to isolate. Right from the start, my doctor said to me that, Amy, it took you nine months of doing dialysis before you really felt any kind of depression about doing this. You had such a positive attitude coming into it. And that's my mantra, be positive. And guess what? By the way, that's my blood type yeah so (laughs) be positive (laughs) so i thought what a gift my parents gave me to give me that blood type and then to give me this um mindset yeah to look at this as a positive experience Mm -hmm. so i think as long as you can look at what where you're at in life in a positive light it keeps the motivation for living strong right and when you start getting overwhelmed by the things that are involved in monitoring your life and the regime you have to follow, and you look at life as being totally restricted by this disease, that's when depression and the, the lack of will to live, the, the willingness to live becomes prominent in your life. I don't want that to happen. I know what depression is like clinically speaking, and I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. That is not my choice. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, thankfully, a lot of the people that I have dialysis with have the same kind of attitude. And that's one of the reasons that going to the clinic is preferable to me over doing it at home, where I would be isolated. And, And I already stay at home a lot as it is. I don't want to stay at home and do the treatment. Yeah, you mentioned recovery time for dialysis, 24 hours. Well, if you're going three times a week, there's your week. I want to encourage people again, go to Be a Kidney Donor for Amy, just the way it sounds. Be a Kidney Donor for Amy on Facebook. Like the page. Share the page, please, with other people, your friends, family. You never know where this is going to land. And again, remember, this is a community that Amy's building. Uh, It does not have to be a, a a donation, a kidney donation. There's other ways that you can help Amy in in her quest to keep her quality of life. She has three treatments a week of dialysis. That's a four hours per session. She has transportation needs, meals, and as you can hear, she's an interesting woman who has a social life that she likes to maintain. So there's a lot of ways that you can plug in and be involved. If you'd like to email Amy, email her at be a kidney donor. The numeral four. Amy at gmail.com. And again, it's Amy Meter Perel. Amy, I have thoroughly enjoyed meeting you. I want to thank you very much, Jim, for having me on this program. I was really nervous about it, but you have made me feel so comfortable being here and talking with you. And you have so much empathy that I am really grateful that I was led to speak with you. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for listening to Chapters, and I'll see you next week.